Father, we come to you with uh, humility, just uh, wanting to hear from you and your word. Um, we certainly don't want to hear um, my words. We want to hear your word. We, wanna, we want Jesus, your Holy Spirit, to speak to us. Uh, Lord, for some of us, that's a, that's a really special and rare thing. Uh, some of us feel like we don't hear your word that often. Uh, but Lord, we know that your word uh, is able and you are willing to speak to us as we humble ourselves before you. So Father, we pray that you would give us a special blessing today of, uh, of hearing your voice. And even if that's a corrective word, Lord, we want to receive it and we want to walk in surrender and submission to you. Lord, we don't want to be rebellious in our hearts and go in our own way and rejecting you and your counsel, but we want to do as you say because you're a God and you're uh, much wiser than we are. So Lord, forgive us for all the times we've gone astray and gone our own way, and I pray that you would restore us now and help us to um, be close to you. Father, we pray for um, those in our church that have been sick, and we ask that you would heal them. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would uh, provide for the needs of our church, uh, especially the food bank. Um, Lord, help us to uh, be super generous, just giving our lives and, and depending on you and seeing that you will always uh, get us through. Uh, Lord, we would pray that we would have open and loving hearts to our community. Uh, Lord, where we would be able to share your word with boldness, but also with love. And uh, Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. We know that you hear us. Uh, Lord, we, we pray for those of us in here who have children that are going astray. And we pray that you would give us patience and a, a heart like yours that you're willing to wait and, and love. And we ask that you would bring those prodigal children back and you would work in their hearts. Uh, so Jesus, we ask, we have many things that are heavy on our hearts uh, that we need your help, Father. And we pray, Jesus, that, that we would depend on you without fail and, and that we would see your glory as you answer our prayers. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. 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 The absolute consistent truth in the Word of God that we see in the Word of God is that we, along with all of God's people, always struggle and fail to trust in the Lord. We struggle and fail to trust in the Lord. Has anyone had a perfect run of trusting in the Lord? No. (laughs) Thank you, Chris. I'm glad that... You have. <laughs> and the beard speaks to such things. Okay. Well, we, we don't. We struggle. We would rather lean. We would rather lean on the cobwebs of human sufficiency than trust in the strong, grace-filled hands of the living God. We would rather lean on the cobwebs of man's sufficiency than trust in God's grace. We fail over and over and over again in almost every test and in every circumstance. Yet God is always patient. God is always loving. God is always forgiving. God is always gracious with us he will eventually succeed in teaching us to trust our Father without fail. That is what is going to happen in your life, your life, every person in here 
who loves Jesus and has received him in my life, we will eventually learn that our Father will not disappoint us, will not fail us. But we haven't learned that yet. You might even think you've learned it. But there are dark corners in your heart that you might not even see. And these dark places don't yet believe that God will always meet your needs, that God will always care for you in his love. There are places that doubt. And the, the quicker we come to acknowledge that failure, that weakness in us, the more quickly we will be able to receive God's cleansing and God's instruction all the way through our heart and life. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12 is a verse that we're going to start in today and it says, beware brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of, what do you think it might say? An evil heart of adultery, an evil heart of murdering puppies. An evil heart of idolatry. No, he says an evil heart of unbelief. Unbelief. In God's perspective, unbelief is so evil. He has given us promises. He has given us his word. And for us to say, I think you're lying. I'm not going to trust you. To him, that is very offensive to the point of being evil. It says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in you any heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Departing from the living God. The people of Israel are on their way to the promised land. They have been freed from Egypt and they've already been tested many times. And how many of those tests have they passed? Zero. They failed every single one of them. They failed them all. Moses is doing all right. He's like maybe batting like 500 or something like that. He's pretty good, but he's still failing. The people are failing every time, and yet God doesn't seem to be that upset with them. He's still leading them. His promise is that he would get them to Sinai and that they would worship him on Sinai, and they're going to receive his word and his law at Sinai. He has given them this promise. They've been tested many times along the way. If life was always easy, and we just walked right into our promised land, we wouldn't have so many perfect and wonderful illustrations like these children of Israel give us. If they just were able to go straight from Egypt and go right up the coast into the promised land through the Canaanite uh, territories right there, it would have only taken them a couple weeks, maybe 14 days to walk to the promised land. And it's already been longer than that. But if, if, it, if they did that, then we wouldn't have so much encouragement because it doesn't take me 14 days to get from when I first got saved to the promised land. I take a long time of many mistakes, many failures. Anyone with me? We mess up. And God's totally on board. He does not leave us or forsake us. He is with us the entire way. And so these people, I want you guys to understand this, these people that are messing up every day, it seems like we could easily get a haughty spirit where we say, look at these stupid Israelites. They never trusted. They, they're just so always saying, I'm thirsty and I'm hungry. But how do we act when we're hangry? We are just awful. Every single one of us probably. 
We just, we get the same way. They are a wonderful picture for us of God's patience. It's an illustration of God's love. You know, these guys are illustrating for us a heart that resists trusting in the Lord at almost every turn. And I'm, I'm, I'm bummed, but what that really describes is me. I, I neglect, I struggle to trust God every day because it goes against my human nature. It goes against what everything on TV is telling me. You can do it. You are awesome. It goes against everything the world has taught me since I was a little kid in kindergarten. You are doing great and you can do anything you put your mind to. It goes against our human nature of I want to be independent. God says, I don't accept that. I want you to be dependent on me. That doesn't make you less. It doesn't make you less important. It doesn't make you less complete. In fact, you are only fully complete when you have me in you and you have my spirit enabling you and equipping you. So this is the the two divergent directions we have. The way the world wants to go in my flesh is I want to do it by myself. And the way God says is I won't let you. I'm going to do it for you, and I'm going to teach you to trust in me. This journey, though, isn't easy to learn how to walk in God's ways. The desert isn't our enemy. As we're walking, we're going to go through the desert, going on these journeys. We're going to go through many difficult times in our life, and we can call that the desert, but that's not the enemy, the difficult times. The, The trials aren't the enemy. The heart that wants to go my own way That's the enemy. The journey isn't the enemy. The desert's not the enemy. The trials aren't the enemy. The bad guys aren't the enemy. The cancer isn't the enemy. Your job isn't the enemy. Your boss isn't the enemy. Your lack of a job isn't the enemy. The heat wasn't the enemy for these people. The evil heart of unbelief is the enemy that God is fighting. It seems like God is just interested in so many different things than we are. The heart that departs from the living God and turns to other things, puts its hope in various places, that is the enemy, the heart of flesh. God is at continual war with your flesh. He's not interested in your flesh getting what it wants. He's not interested in your flesh being satisfied. He is interested in murdering your flesh. He wants to choke it out. Paul said, it's no longer I who live. Why not, Paul? Because I've been crucified with Christ. I put my flesh up on the cross, and by faith, I choked it out. I suffocated. How do people die in crucifixion? Suffocation, right? They, They lose strength in their legs, and they can't push up to expand their diaphragm, and they can't get air. Actually, they can't get the air that's in their lungs out, so they can't actually expirate, but... The heart of the Spirit is what God wants to live in us, and that is the gift given to us freely by faith. So let's get into our text now. We're going to look through uh, seven verses of Exodus chapter 17, and there are some pretty exciting verses if you ask me. 
So they're journeying through the, the, the wilderness, and look what happens. Then all the children, the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin. Now, that's not talking about sin like you think you're a sinner. It's just a short for Sinai. It's the wilderness of the Sinai area. According to the commandment of the Lord. That's a very important verse. This is, they set out on this journey. God is leading them. Does anyone remember how God is leading them? The big cloud, right? During the day, it's a cloud for shade, keeps them cool. At night, it's a cloud of fire, keeps them warm and light. It's, it's nice. So he is leading them. And they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Now remember, God led them here. God sent them here to Rephidim. He brought them to Rephidim. Where there was no water. Now, do you think God is leading them? He's like, oh, bummer. There's no water here. Oh, my goodness. No, God's not surprised, right? God led them to where there was nothing that could meet their needs. Let me say that again. God led them to the where there was nothing that could meet their needs. They looked like they were going to die. But God led them there. This is yet another test of faith. I wish he would quit testing my faith every day. This is, this is stressful. Feels like I'm dying. Are they going to look to the one who is their deliverer and savior, or are they going to look to man again? What do you think? Of course. It seems like I always get stuck in the same place, tempted by the same thing over and over and over again. Can anyone identify with that? Maybe God is trying to get my attention. You ever think about that? I do sometimes. What does he want from me? Why am I tempted by the same thing? And I fail sometimes and I succeed sometimes. And why? What does God want from me in all of these tests of my faith? What does he want from me? He wants trust. He wants faith. He's not asking for you to be the Arnold Schwarzenegger of Christians. Big and strong and get in the joppa. I want to do it. You know, That's not what he wants. He wants someone who will say, here I am again. Lord, help me. I look to you. I'm going to trust you. When faced with whatever trial we're in, we're going to seek our own way. Are we going to seek our own way? This is the test. Or are we going to seek the Lord for our deliverance? Are we going to seek our own way or are we going to seek him for our deliverance? Are we going to trust in him or are we going to trust in our own understanding, our own strength, our own strategies? Psalm, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you guys know, says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And he, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. That is his word. That is his promise. But we don't do it. Do I trust in the Lord with all my heart? Well, there are areas of my heart that don't, and I would be lying if I said I trusted him with all my heart. I'm learning. And when an area is revealed, I slowly turn that over and surrender to the Lord. But it hurts every time, doesn't it? Lord, you want that too? I thought I had one thing I could have control over in my life. I thought you were going to just let me have one area where I felt safe and secure. You're going to take everything? Really? You want everything? And God is like, hey, I told you I loved you. 
I told you, everything I do is for your good. Why don't you believe me? Well, it looks like I don't, I don't understand. I know you don't understand. That's why I said you could just trust me. It's, it's easy. But at the same time, it's the most difficult thing we ever do. Trust an invisible God who we, can, we have a hard time perceiving and seeing. All we have is his word. Yeah, that's, that's difficult. Do I trust him with all my heart? These tests help us to see the answer to that question. He sees the places in our heart that even we can't see, and he is going after them. He is waging war on those areas of our heart. So, continuing in our text, therefore, the people contended with Moses. Who are they looking at? Man. They're not looking at God. And said, give us water that we may drink. And so Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? And why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water and complained against Moses and said, Why is it that you have brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with these people? They are ready to stone me. He's about to get rocked. Oh, that, was, that worked on so many levels. I just... Just think about it. Just keep, keep working that through. You'll see. It works so well. So, but the people, they fail their test again, right? They look to men. They get angry. They get worried. They don't have peace because why? They're not trusting in the Lord. How do you respond when things go bad? Is worry the first thing you go to? Yeah, it is. Uh, me too. But the Lord desires for us to be free from that. You don't have to worry, ever. Your Father really loves you. We got in a car accident like you know a week ago. Insurance company still hasn't called me, but I'm not worried. <laughs> Might be a little angry, but <laughs> yeah. So I'm struggling a little bit with it, but. What I was thinking about was, was when the accident happened, um, what did you say, Dana? You're like, are we all right? And I'm like, yeah, we're fine. Maybe we can just go home. You know? <laughs> but, so I didn't realize how bad we were, we were hit, so I pulled over. I got out, and I, I was like, wow. But literally, I had no worry, and, and maybe that's part of my personality. Maybe I'm just super lazy about worrying. <laughs> but I, I would like to think that I've been learning to trust in the Lord and that I can take things as they come and, and say, my father's going to take care of this. He's going he's gonna to love me. This is all part of his plan in my life. Well, do they have the right to be worried right now? Think about that. The people have no water. They have their little ones with them. Do they have a right to be worried? People who worry a lot feel like they have a right to worry. If I'm not concerned about this, then who is? Who's going to take care of this if not me? If no one's worrying about this, what's going to happen? No one will worry about it. Is God not in control of all things? Is his hand not governing all things? We don't have to worry. 
And here, we don't have the right to worry. God has promised to care for these people. He has led them here. And he told them, you're going to serve me in Sinai, so is there any possibility that they won't die of thirst? Is there any possibility? No, there's not. He, is, he will provide every step of the way according to his word because his word does not lie or fail, right? So no, they don't have the right to worry. Oh, they say, I'm just looking with, at things with wisdom. That's my excuse for worrying. I need, to sh- I need to have wisdom. If I don't worry about this, again, who's going to worry about it? It's got to be me. It's on me. God gave me this brain and I need to use it by worrying. You might be worried that I'm talking about this. (laughs) I don't like the way this is going. He's talking right at me. I'm talking at me too. I'm I'm not a worrier, but I get worried sometimes. Dana sees me stress out sometimes. I'm like, gets freaked out about stuff. It happens. Well, he did give you a brain. Let me just take that challenge for a minute. He did give you a brain, but your heart is the one that's worrying and stressing, not your brain. That's the truth of the situation. It's your heart that won't let go. Because if you use your brain, you could look in the Word and you could see that God's going to take care of everything. If I asked you, is God going to take care of everything? You'd probably say, yeah, he's probably going to take care of everything. But your heart doesn't want to believe that. We don't. Your brain could determine to just trust in the Lord and in his promises because he's faithful, but your heart hates that because your heart just doesn't want to trust in God because it's flesh. Your brain has to find other things to trust in when your heart just won't go that way. No, I'm not going to trust in the Lord, so you have to think about other things. All right, I'm going to come up with plans, or I'm going to have efforts, or I'm going to trust in people, or I'm going to trust in wisdom. Or Google. Any, all these things are, are something our flesh can put its hope in. Oh, I, I'm fine because this person's going to take care of me. I'm fine because I can Google the answer. God was going to bring a problem along that cannot be Googled. <laughs> Moses shows a wonderful example to us of what we should do when confronted with a Pretty intense trial. Where is my water going to come from? What does Moses do? He prays. He says, God, what do I do? He asks the Lord for wisdom. We would save ourselves so much pain if we just asked the Lord for wisdom first rather than re- reacting according to what we feel. If, we res- if every time we got into a trial, we would respond instead of react, we would be so much better off. Responding is a predetermined, thought-out course of action. Oh, when my life falls apart, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to open the Bible, and I'm going to read for a minute. And I'm going to f- ask the Lord, speak to me, give me direction. And I'm going to seek Him. And that's just what I'm going to preset. What am I going to do when I get into a trial? I'm going to do that. Because what do I want to do when I get into a trial? Run, freak out, worry, all kinds of awful things. That's what a reaction is. Responding is pre-thought out. 
check out that back wall back there. You guys see all those booklets back there? Those are all booklets that are God's word, uh, a magnifying glass, and your problem. Whatever your problem is, there's like 120, I think, different problems back there. And your problem might be on that wall. So if you're having a problem, it might be on that wall. And I, I suggest to you, instead of worrying about it, go to that wall, pick up the little booklet, and read what God's word would have to say. I challenge you to do that and see what might happen in your life. Moses, he's a great example because he asked the Lord for advice and, um, and he asked the Lord for wisdom. And to do that, you have to have um, two things. The first thing you have to have is humility. You have to acknowledge that you don't know what to do. You don't have the resources you need. And that humility says, I don't have what I need. But the second thing you need is faith, which is I'm going to trust that you do have what I need. And not only that you have it, but that you will give it to me. You're willing, not because I earn it, not because I'm better than the guy next to me, but because you love me. I love telling people, I totally believe God's going to answer my prayer. If, if someone comes up to, to pray with me, I love saying, I believe God's going to answer my prayer. And, and I say, even if they don't ask, I say, because God loves me. I want them to feel jealous about that. Not because I'm better than them, but because God loves them too. And I want them to show, I want to show people in my praying for them that his love is the basis for why I expect an answer. And not just an answer, I expect him to give me what I've asked. Because a good father does that, as we will see. Uh, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 for a moment. We're going to deviate a little bit. So go ahead and turn over there. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the rest of our text uh, in uh, Exodus before we do that to just give us the context of where we're at. The Lord said to Moses, go before the people and and take with you some of the elders of Israel, and also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it that my people may drink. And, the, and Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So, we see a miracle here. We see God saying, if you just hit this rock with this stick, water will come out to feed two and a half million people, give them enough water to drink. So this is a lot of water. And, and so you, you, you see that the first time, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard this story, and you're like, wow, that's weird. Why would God give water out of a rock? Well, we're going to learn today that it actually... Uh, had very little to do with those people at that time, and this is really about you. You and Jesus. That's what this is really about, which is crazy. I mean, this is an, an, a miraculous event, but it's really speaking about you. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Moreover, brethren, this is you guys. You guys are the brethren and sistren. I do not want you to be unaware 
of all that our fa- that all our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea, and all were all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, which was what the manna, right? We studied that, and all drank the same spiritual drink for the drink they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. He says here, the rock was Jesus. Jesus was the rock, spiritually speaking. This rock was a perfect picture of Jesus. So we have explicit information revealed to us in 1 Corinthians that this rock pictures Jesus. Uh, And that our walk with God will be deeply affected when we see and realize the connection we have to these people walking around the wilderness of Saudi Arabia. Now I have a picture of this rock. Go ahead and show that picture. There is the rock. Is there any way you can get rid of that words? Okay, that's the rock. We believe this is in uh, right by Mount Horeb, which is just into Saudi Arabia on the other side of the uh, Red Sea. And so there's Mount Horeb, and then there's uh, Mount Sinai right next to it, just like maybe half a mile away. This is in the valley to the west of Mount Horeb, so it's in the area of Mount Horeb like the Bible says it is. This rock uh, is like eight, sto- eight th- as tall as an eight-story building right there. It's very small. If you saw a person, they wouldn't even get just a tenth of the way up it. It's very, very big. And all the rock in that area is desert rock that's all cracked and broken and, and crushed because it was, it's been dry for a long time. They only get one inch of rain every 10 years or something like that. But all the rock that is below this rock is river washed. It's just amazingly smooth. It's been all uh, you can tell just billions of gallons of water have run over this rock uh, for probably generations, probably about 40 years, I would guess. And uh, so that's the rock. And look, it's split. And in other places, it's even called the split rock at Horeb in the Bible. Because as we see, when Moses strikes it, it splits, and that's how the water comes up from the middle of that. Pretty amazing, right? Now, the Bible says that's Jesus. What? It just said this rock was Christ. Now, I'm not saying Jesus is a rock, although the Bible says he's a rock. How many times is a rock used as a name for God? Many, many times. I, I was going to put that in our study, but we don't have time because it's literally like 50 more verses we'd have to look at. So you can do that on your own. Here in 1 Corinthians, it says that our walk with God is going to be incredibly affected when we realize that Jesus is this rock. Their failure to trust in God in the wilderness lines up with us failing to trust in God in our life, in our wilderness. But God's wonderful grace of pouring out water on these people through the rock also pictures God's wonderful, patient, kind, and loving way of providing you with water in your dry desert times. God provides for their needs in his way. That's why he took them to this place that there was no water. I mean, he could have led them to a lake. That would have been smart. But it's smarter to lead them to a place there was no water so that they would again have another lesson. I am all that you need. You don't even need water. 
the most basic thing we all need for life, God says, you don't need it. I will give it to you. It is in me. It is through me and through my son that you will get all that you need. So there may be an objection at this point. You might uh, be thinking, isn't it mean for God to make his people thirsty? Can't he just make their thirst go away with magic? Is that what a loving father would do? Make his child thirsty? Well, the answer to that is that their thirst only made them more ready to receive the water from the rock when God provided that. So instead of them being like, oh, there's water coming out of that rock. Wow. They dove in, right? They were thirsty, so they went towards it. It motivated them to accept the water that was given. Why am I so miserable in my life? So that the day you see Jesus in his love, you're going to jump in. You're going to dive in to his life. You're going to run to him and drink of the water in your soul that Jesus offers you. That's why. That's why you've been through so much. That's why life has been so hard. God provides it. They were never in danger of dying. God was going to give them life. So God said in our text back in Exodus, he said, I will stand before you and you shall strike the rock. And this, of course, is a beautiful and perfect picture of Jesus and the death that Jesus dies for us. Jesus was God saying, I will stand before you, and God allowed himself to be struck for us to give us what we need. Isn't that a beautiful picture of Jesus? Jesus stood before men, and they struck him down. And through that act of loving sacrifice, we get the water of his spirit poured out to us. And then it says, water will come out, and the people can drink. That was another thing told to us in these verses. The sacrifice of Jesus is the only thing that will ever truly satisfy you. It's the only thing that you will drink when you're really thirsty. It's the only thing that can satisfy. When you realize that you need his life-giving water, when you come to the end of trying uh, and depending on absolutely anything else except the life and death of Jesus, you realize that, man, it tastes so good. The Psalms say, taste and see that the Lord is all right. No, good, right? If we could remember back in chapter 16, Jesus was pictured as the bread, right? The manna. And his life is what feeds us spiritually. And we talked about doing our devotions and we talked about Jody's last name. It was, it was good fun. But that picture is not complete because he also needs to be the rock the bread does not speak to us and teach us how he was punished on behalf of his people for their sins. But the rock does. The rock teaches us that. Jesus first needed to descend from heaven like the bread descended from heaven. And then he would stand and give his life for the people like the rock. Perfect order, chapter 16 and 17, we see a full description and picture of Jesus and his act and his love. Isn't that cool? In Isaiah 53, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs, he has carried us our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. 
But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. In this story, Moses does the striking. But in the real story, God the Father strikes the Son. God the Father laid the eternal wrath of a holy God upon his beloved Son so that we could drink of the heavenly water and be healed and be saved. Now, what does the water speak of? The answer is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. In John seven thirty-seven, I can prove it to you. It says, On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, but he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The gift that flows out of the death of Jesus, the crucifixion, is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. This, this is a blessing of a new nature with limitless resources of God's favor and grace. In other words, all that you ever could need. You had nothing you needed before Jesus, you have everything you need after. Who gets this? Jesus says, those who come to me and drink. Believing that God imparts through Jesus new life to them. That's how it works. How do I know if I believe? I want to know that this Holy Spirit is mine. I want this resource. How do I know if I believe? And I would ask you this question. Did you ask? Did you ask? Have you ever asked for the Holy Spirit to be given to you? Have you asked? Luke chapter 11, Jesus gives a really striking parable that helps us to understand this. He says, I say to you, ask. That's the lesson. Ask is the whole lesson. And it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Three ways of asking, asking, seeking, knocking. If a son, and then Jesus goes on, he doesn't even take a breath. He says, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? (laughs) Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's the only requirement for you to receive all of the Holy Spirit today. All of it. Ask. Ask. Well, I asked 45 years ago. Oh, God's faithful. But is your heart as as genuine as it was 45 years ago? Maybe if you kept asking, you're going to see more of it revealed in your life. It's not that God gives you more and more and more of the Holy Spirit, but as we ask, we are demonstrating humility and faith. We are learning to walk in all that God has given us. We're learning to walk in the Spirit. 
as we ask, continue to ask for God to pour out that Spirit, to give you the Holy Spirit, and you'll see more and more of it in your life. So Moses called the name of that place Meribah and Massa because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Sometimes we just need to know, is the Lord among us? And that the people did ask that. And that's an okay question to ask. So ask it. What does that sound like in 2017 in Denver, Colorado? Is the Lord among us? I mean, we don't generally say it like that. How about like this? God, I don't feel you. I don't feel satisfied by you. Church is boring. Reading your word is boring. I don't feel you. That is an okay thing to say. But it's not an okay place to stay. We, need, we can ask God and tell him about our thirst. What should they have done? They should have said, God, we're thirsty. You've led us here. So would you give us something to drink? And God would have said, yep, boom. Here you go. As we're struggling, we can come to God and say, I am thirsty. I am walking in the desert. I am struggling with sin. I'm doubting you and everything else. I am out of hope. And what is God's response to that? Jesus stands up and yells at you and says, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. And out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Just keep coming to me and believing and you're going to get what you're seeking. Come to me. Ask the Father. He is good. He will not reject you. You are his child. He is not going to let make you walk through deserts of sorrow and grief for year upon year upon year with no water of his Holy Spirit. He is only going to give you what you need He will lo- because he loves you. He will pour his life into you. He will pour his Holy Spirit into you. That's how it works. The people were not perfect when this blessing of water came, were they? They were just as unbelieving as ever. They were in the middle of their rebellion, and yet God gave them water through the rock being struck. Do you need his water today? The way to get it has nothing to do with you. It doesn't. The price to pay, you can't pay. But there's still water that's about to just splash all over you. And you're going to be so satisfied. God's love has already secured these blessings for you. It's all in Jesus Christ. Accessible by you. Wow, how do I get it? We already said that. Ask. But will it work for me? How can I be sure God will meet my needs? In 2 Corinthians 1.19, we find the answer to that question. How, how do I know it will work for me? In chapter, 2 Corinthians 1.19, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him are amen to the glory of God through us. So God says, I am begging you to believe me. I will give it 
to you? And the answer to anyone's question who says, will it be for me? The answer will be yes and amen. And amen means so be it. So I'm reading the word. I find a promise. I'm going through it. I see a promise. And, And my question is, is it for me? The answer is yes and amen. Yes, it's for you, and amen, so be it. Watch, boom, it's done. Well, I I see many promises. I'm supposed to respond like this to every single one? That's God's response, yes. Yes and amen. Is God going to be with me always? Yes and amen. Is God going to speak to me and provide the water for my soul if I ask him? Yes and amen, so be it. God loves to meet your needs. And it says here, he's glorified by doing so. God brought you to the place where you'd be thirsty so that you would hopefully ask him so that he could pour the water on you so that he could be glorified. See, it had nothing to do with you. You're his child. You're his responsibility. He's not trying to kill you. But what is the thought that goes into our heart when we, into our mind and in our heart, when we're going through the hard time? Yeah, God's probably going to kill me. God might not really care about this situation. We think it all the time. He loves when men put their hope in Jesus and trust in him alone. In fact, in 2 Chronicles, it says, the eye of the Lord goes to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for someone, anyone, whom he could show himself strong on behalf of. Anyone. doesn't matter who you are, where you're at, where school you go to, what your natural gifts, or how dumb you might be. God is looking for anyone who would just let him fight for them and be what they need. Anyone who would say, I'm just going to wait for the Lord. I'm not going to try to do that on my own. I'm going to wait for the Lord. And I've asked him, and I believe he's going to answer me because he loves me. If we're seeking anything outside him, we will fail and we will thirst again. And God will not be glorified. In other words, that's a really tough lesson. If we try to do things on our own, we are stealing the glory away from God. We're robbing from him the opportunity to bless us and to then be glorified. If the children of Israel went and dug a bunch of wells at this point, not only would it have not worked, but God would not have been glorified. It would have been a waste on every, in every way. Ask yourself, could what I'm doing be done if Jesus didn't exist or show up? Could what I'm doing be done if I had no relationship at all with Jesus? Could I accomplish this on my own? Could I be fine if, if this person or that program comes through for me? Will I be just fine? If it's not Jesus, it dishonors God. Our God is teaching us to walk by faith and not by sight. Who didn't drink the water that came out of this? I don't know, because they probably died. Because there's no other way to life, right, than through Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Anyone who comes to the Father, God has got to go through me. Who needs a fresh drink of Jesus today? Who has felt the need for rivers of living water? 
It's so simple to come to Jesus and drink. We just confess that we're thirsty, that we have need and we're unworthy. And we look to his unending grace and supply to meet our every need. We just maybe say, save me, Jesus, or fill me, Jesus, or forgive me, Jesus, or transform me, Jesus, or heal me, Jesus. Taste and drink and drink and drink. Just keep drinking from him. I'm done being thirsty. Why do I want to live that way? I'm done with my own way. I want to surrender, God, to you and you alone as my Lord and Savior and my water. We turn our eyes to him and don't let them turn away. You can only hug one thing at a time, right? Idolatry is hugging something else besides God. You can only hold one thing at a time. We don't want to turn away to those worthless things over and over. Everything the world thinks important, it's not. Only personally abiding in Jesus Christ is important. That's what the gospel says. So drink it in. Jesus says, I, I will meet your needs. Rest in me. Depend on me. Now, last thing, we're done here, but I want to show you one thing. Do you know what the word Rephidim means? Rephidim is the name of this place uh, where God led them to where this rock happened to be. We saw the rock. It's at Rephidim. It means places of rest. Places of rest. But when they arrived there, they were thirsty. But they find rest. They arrived worried, and they end up satisfied. They probably thought it was silly to call the name of that place Rephidim at first. Where are we, Moses? I'm so thirsty. We're at Rephidim, places of rest. Well, I could hear a lot of things said under the breath at that point, right? Rephidim, you don't know. I'm so thirsty. But they knew what it meant at the end, that God will provide them rest when they come to the end of their selves and the end of their disbelief. God will grant you a seat at the table of Rephidim today. You will know why that name is meaningful today when you taste and see that the Lord is good and he pours out the water of his Holy Spirit on you as you ask the Father for it today. Peace will be his gift to you. Restful peace. Does anyone not have peace today? That's not okay. You don't have to live that way. I'm not saying you're, you're going to get cured of the cancer or you're going to find a job tomorrow, but God will give you his rest today as we call upon him, as we ask him, John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. That's in the past tense. It's already given. Not as the world gives do I give to you. You don't have to earn it. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And that's a command to you guys today. Don't worry about anything, but ask the Lord. Trust in the Lord. You will understand why it's called Rephidim by the end. Amen, guys?